influencers reacted to the announcement and like that was the point where we really started to grow a community of supporters. Did you find that when it was announced that there was a lot of skepticism that there were people that didn't think this was something that could actually work? So I would say overall the reactions were positive, but there was one very famous uh, critic of our system, which is Vitalik himself. <laughs> he, he liked the idea of something which is more decentralized and more autonomous than the maker, but he didn't think it would be possible to do it in a completely interest-free way because interest rates are everywhere. DeFi is constantly breaking the rules of finance, and our guest today, Robert Lauko of Liquidity, is no exception to that rule. Liquidity breaks the rules of how lending should work, collateralization should work, stablecoins should work. It really broke new ground across the board in DeFi, and I think the explanations you'll hear today will help you understand, number one, why it's important and why it works. And number two, how important it is for everyone in this space to be innovating and to be creating and to be breaking the rules every single day. Thank you for listening to Mission DeFi. If you like what you hear, please rate, review us, and subscribe. Nothing you hear on this podcast is financial advice. These are just the opinions of Brad Nickel and his guest. All right. I am excited today to have Robert Lauko from Liquidy, one of my favorite projects. And the full disclosure, I am a token holder of the Liquidy token. But the reason for that is, is because I'm a big believer in what they've created and how they've built it. And so I'm really excited to talk to Robert about what Liquidy is doing, where it's going from here, and why it was formed in the first place. Robert, thanks for joining us. And please give us a little bit of background about how you ended up in crypto and how Liquidy came about, and what the project's doing. Hi, Brad. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. It's a great pleasure to be on your show. So sure, let me start with my background real quick. So I'm a lawyer by training, and I also used to work as a lawyer a few years. And it was only in 2016, I would say, when, when Vitalik started Ethereum, or when Ethereum became like came to my radar, and when the foundation was set up in uh, the canton of Zug, which is my hometown, when I got really fascinated by the idea of uh, smart contracts, I heard about Bitcoin a few years earlier, but it didn't click as at that time. But then a few years later, with Ethereum and smart contracts, all made sense to me. Maybe I should say that even though I'm a lawyer, I also have a keen interest in technology, and I used to do some coding project, like some CS project in high school. And I was just already into the whole tech stuff. And then with smart contracts, Ethereum and all the blockchain applications, you can combine all the interesting legal and technical um, aspects. And that was really like what fascinated me most. And so I really got sucked into the whole world and I started doing my own research. I really spent literally hundreds of hours on, on, on reading up on how all those systems work, like mainly Ethereum. And yeah, I also looked a bit into proof of work and proof of stake, which was a big debate at that time. And I also wrote a few articles on, on that particular topic and a few similar things. And uh, it was a mere coincidence and a great dose of luck that somebody made me aware of Definity was just also looking into how to structure like their membership, their, like what kind of mechanism they wanted to use for their consensus algorithm. And that's how I got into touch with the team back then. It was like very small, like less than fewer than 10 people. And I basically landed my first job in, as their first employee in Switzerland. And I became a blockchain researcher. I mainly worked on, uh, on consensus algorithms and some mechanism design. And uh, like later on during my career there, I had a chance to look a bit into the application layer. And that's when I got into the whole DeFi space because, yeah, I was just fascinated by stable coins and then also realized, oh, there, there are also interesting lending platforms out there, MakerDAO, Compound, and ETHLAND, which is now Aave, just to name a few, but there weren't too many around back then. 
And while doing my research, I also uh, noticed that those protocols seem to me a bit inefficient when it comes to liquidations and thus have like maybe higher capital or collateral requirement to se secure the loans because how they do liquidations is either based on some fixed discounts for collateral sell-offs or they have like a lengthy auction mechanism where people can bid during which time frame like the price can drop further and so on. Without going into too much details, it was just like this aspect which fascinated me most and which uh, led to the initial spark of an idea for liquidity, where I came up with like a more like faster, like even instantaneous mechanism of liquidating loans. So that was this initial spark. I have a question. How did your family feel about you giving up the attorney career for blockchain, Ethereum, and everything that went along with that? Yeah, it wasn't like a sudden like change because when I first started working for Definity, it was just a part-time job. So I kept my full-time employment with, back then I was working for the civil engineering office of Zurich, which is where I, I live now. And yeah, it was like a gradual um, transition. And I think they, they were very supportive. And uh, so it wasn't, it was surprising, but back then in Switzerland, in particular, like blockchain was a real big hype. So you could see like documentaries and even like in the news, blockchain was a big thing in 2017 and even 16. So everybody then became aware of, oh, here, something new is happening. And, and the crypto valley, like Switzerland, is, is like really in the center of all of it. Yeah, absolutely. So I can see how that uh, that makes people feel better about you moving into it. And, <laughs> and if you gradually dip your toe in, it makes it a lot of sense. So you had this concept for liquidity. How long did you let that stew and simmer or did you really dive into it right away? And did you partner with someone? Did you, you know? Yeah. So th this initial idea of just making liquidations more efficient needed some time to mature. And later on, I also like, looked into other aspects of uh, stablecoins and borrowing, which then became like this kind of product where we lend out our own stablecoin to borrowers. And then the question was like, normally we'd pay an interest rate, which is a traditional way of giving out loans. But yeah, I wanted to somehow make the loans more predictable and hopefully cheaper to borrowers in an attempt to make borrowing as attractive as possible. And that's how the second benefit or second selling point came about of uh, making the loans interest-free and, and rather just take a one-off uh, or upfront um, fee when you open a loan. So that was the second motivation. And, and, and that came a few months later, actually. It was in November 2019 when I really decided to leave Definity and then... I quickly put together a small prototype in two or three weeks myself. I'm not really a good Solidity coder, but somehow I just uh, made the effort and put together something to make it easier to find um, a real developer. Like It's easier to explain when you have something around. To show them. Yeah. And, and then I was really lucky because I just, like while writing or creating this prototype, I had a few questions myself regarding Solidity. And I then stumbled into the blog of Rick Pardo, who is now like a developer. And uh, yeah, just looking, going through his like his uh, blog posts on on how to do unit testing for Solidity mainly. I also saw that oh, this guy is looking for a job in the crypto space, and that was like a, a good match back then. So that's so you just stumbled upon your partner and and knew that he wanted to be in this space and so you guys connected up and started working together on it. Yeah, it was really quick, so it, it didn't take long for him to uh, get on board and we really started. Why don't we quickly go through what liquidity is? You've touched on bits and pieces, but give us an overview of what liquidity is and what it does for users. And there are a couple of different users: borrowers, lenders, stakers. Can you walk through? what it is, what it provides, what its value is, and how people can use it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I would mainly say that liquidity is a borrowing protocol, so it caters to the user group of the borrowers. And we, are also, we, we also try to maximize the benefits for the borrowers. And we did that, as I already mentioned, by basically doing away with interest rates and replacing them with a one-off fee which is a currently a small fee. It's normally around 0.5% that you pay on the borrowed amount when you open your loan and there is no repayment schedule at all. So you can repay whenever you want. So that's like the first benefit. 
And the other benefit is that uh, you as a borrower, you only need to maintain a 110% collateralization ratio. So I have to say that the loans, they need to be collateralized as like most other lending platforms in the DeFi space. And they only, like the only collateral type that Liquidity accepts is Ether. I can maybe delve a bit into that later. But the main uh, benefit is that the, the ratio, like the value of your collateral only needs to exceed the value of your debt by this 10%, which is, I think, the lowest you can find uh, on the market because in competing projects, this can be 130% or even 150%. And the way we achieve this is by having this more efficient instantaneous liquidation mechanism, which uh, allows us or allows the, the system to cope with less margin to still be right. on the safe side. So the and the liquidation system is fairly instantaneous and that's another component or party in the equation are the people who gain from the liquidations, correct? Yes, so that's also an important uh, group we need to like account for. So we have this stability pool, you can also call it an insurance pool for loans. And everybody who happens to own LUSD, so LUSD, I have to say, is like the stable coin that the system mints itself to give out as a loan to the borrowers. So the, what they get is basically this kind of synthetic US dollar or stable coin. Now, everybody who happens to own, like buys or borrows LUSD can put those LUSD tokens in, into the stability pool and become like an insurer or underwriter of everybody's loan, so to say. Because this pool would then act as a buffer uh, in case of liquidation. So whenever the system, like whenever somebody's uh, loan drops below this 110% collateralization, the system can easily take out the amount of LUSD tokens from the stability pool, which corresponds to the liquidated debt, and use the tokens to repay the debt in order to liquidate it. And in return, the system also just takes the collateral, the ether, from the liquidated borrower and distributes it pro rata to uh, the stability providers or those who have provided LUSD tokens to the stability pool. So it's you're like buying the ether at a discount in case of a liquidation when you act as a stability provider. So it could be a really uh, potentially good or great opportunity for people who want to provide stability. When someone is liquidated, when they're, when they're, loan is liquidated or their collateral is liquidated is that a process whereby the entire loan is the entire amount of collateral is liquidated or is it portion based in order to cover the the difference so it's a either or no thing so it's not a partial liquidation as in some other systems the reason why we like opted for this full liquidation that basically the borrower loses the entire collateral but it also loses the debt, of course. The debt is then basically covered by the stability providers. Right. The reason for this all or nothing system is that we already have such a low minimum collateralization threshold that going even lower, like making this a partial liquidation would have become a bit difficult with all the gas fees and just like the margin, like the gains for the liquidators would have been very low. So we wanted to be on the safe side. We need to incentivize the stability depositors sufficiently, even though we have a a secondary incentive I can cover a bit later, but we still need to make sure that fundamentally there is enough incentive to buy out the collateral in case of a liquidation. So in order for people to participate, if you gave them little fractional amounts off of the collateral, it's not likely that people would stake put much into the stability pool. So the ability to gain all of the collateral makes it so people are more likely to participate. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then a key factor in all of this is that is is LUSD, which is a stable coin. And how do the mechanics of that work in terms of maintaining the peg for LUSD? Yeah, so there there as well we take an innovative approach, I would say, like we are like as i mentioned we don't uh, charge or the system doesn't charge an interest rate so it doesn't have this monetary mechanism to steer or to adjust like like the price basically we replaced interest rates by a direct redemption or a direct redeemability of the lusd and here i mean that every lusd holder has the right or the po- possibility basically to exchange the lusd at face value as if every lusd was exactly worth $1 exchange them for ether basically for 100 lusd you would get $100 worth of ether at the current usd ether price 
And there is a small fee charge on that, but abstracting away the fee, it means that whenever the price of LUSD drops below $1, it suddenly becomes interesting to redeem because you can sell the ether that you get from the redemption at a price which is higher than what you, the LUSD would cost on the market. So you can do arbitrage trades by buying the LUSD, redeeming it for ether, and then immediately selling the ether on the market. And that's something I guess we already have. We have seen there are redemption bots that are doing this type of automatic ah, trades. Nice. Very nice. And so that that helps you maintain the peg because people are are taking advantage of the arbitrage opportunity. Right. This is just one, like this is the 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 price uh, floor, I would say. Like whenever it drops below this $1 minus the fee, then like we have a very strong, I call it a hard peg or hard uh, price sailing because like there is this immediate arbitrage opportunity. It's not as clear like on the other side of it, like when LUSD becomes overvalued compared to the US dollar, we don't really have a similar arbitrage until um, the point where one LUSD would reach 110. Right. Like when value is 110 or even like higher than that, then what you can do is basically take out a loan at the maximum or the, the minimum collateralization that like you take out, you can then basically take out the maximum amount you can get for your Ether and sell your LUSD at a price, which is then basically allows you to make an arbitrage gains by just borrowing and selling and then forgetting about the collateral and the liquidation. Mission DeFi is sponsored by Material Indicators. Material Indicators brings science to investing and helps investors make more informed and smarter trading decisions. Their powerful community of thousands of experienced investors is free to join and is available to anyone that wants to learn more about trading crypto successfully. Visit their website at materialindicators.com. That's materialindicators.com. Or join their community on Telegram by searching for Material Indicators. Even this is like the other arbitrage cycle, but in between the $1 and the $110, we rely on more subtle, like soft peg mechanisms, like the right. fact that the whole system treats like one LUSD as being one dollar is such a soft mechanism because it, it is the, like the one peg that depends, like that determines how much you can borrow from your ether. And, and, and even though there are fluctuations, so one LUSD is not always perfectly pegged, it's still, I would say, sufficiently stable for a young stable coin. It's mostly around now zero point. Uh, 1.05 or 1.0, sorry, 1.005 or 1.01. Uh, that's a kind of the range uh, that we have seen the LUSD to be trading. But yeah, that's... It, it fascinates me that we are living in a world where a financial application is developed, where part of the model for it is the gamification of people arbitraging the system. I never get enough of that. And it's cool to see that there are people that are actually like doing this and then fulfilling a role in your protocol to make the protocol work better. Uh, and to me, that's one of the most fascinating things about DeFi right now. Yeah, totally. So this kind of reliance on automated bots now it can be also people but nowadays most of the arbitragers are like fully automated bots so it's really it's helpful as long as there is a gain to make you can basically assume that eventually people will jump in and sure. make those gains so you can design your system uh, based on those expectations so when you started out the project, you actually raised some funding for the project. How did that come about for you guys? We had uh, several fundraises, three in total, if we count the fact that when we set up the company, we already had some pre-seed investor, a friend of mine who helped like early on already. He was a co-founder of uh, Definity, so we like used to work there together. And yeah, this was like the first initial like support for Liquidity as a project. And this allowed us like to grow the team from, let's say, two to four. And it was after my first visit of a real Ethereum conference in Paris. It was the ECC last year, so not this year's, when I started to come out, like where basically started to present and pitch the idea to a wider range of people. And I just realized that, oh, there, there is some interest. And yeah, that, that's when I also basically teamed up with, with Ashley Shep, who is uh, now advisor for 
like business development and growth at Infinity, uh, sorry, at Liquidity. And uh, yeah, thanks to her network, it was relatively easy to get the word out. And uh, once we were covered by the block, it was an awesome article, very in-depth, written in May, like last year, like already a while ago and long before we launched, this like initial news coverage led to quite a nice feedback, a diverse feedback on Twitter. This like, like influencers reacted to the announcement and like that was the point where we really started to grow a community of supporters. That's great. And did you find that when people, when it was announced or that article came out, that there was a lot of skepticism that there were people that didn't think this was something that could actually work? So I would say overall the reactions were positive, but there was one very famous uh, critic of our system, which is Vitalik himself. <laughs> he, he liked the idea of something which is more decentralized and more autonomous than the maker, but he didn't think it would be possible to do it in a completely interest-free way because interest rates are everywhere and maybe they are just implied. That was, I think, his main criticism, if I remember correctly. But yeah, we also had nice feedback from other people from the Ethereum Foundation and then, yeah, not just the Foundation, but also other community members of the DeFi space reached out. And yeah, then the investors, our like lead investor, Polychain, came on board relatively quickly. The financing round took a bit longer until we got everything set up legally. But yeah, it was a very nice, a good positive sign that we had like an inbound interest from investors. Like like basically the day when we uh, published and this article came out, we already got the first uh, couple like inbound uh, nice. requests and everything. You know, I want to touch on something you just brought up, and that was how you set the organization up legally, if you don't mind talking a little bit about that. Because I think a lot of projects struggle conceptually with what they're going to do from a location perspective, what the organizational structure is, corporation, foundation, DAO, that kind of thing. Can you give us a little more insights into what you did for Liquidity, especially since you have a legal background? Given that I'm based in Switzerland, it was obvious that I would first try to see if there is uh, like a possibility to set it up in Switzerland. It wasn't clear from the outset whether Switzerland would be the best place to set up the organization. First, like we had basically two main questions. One was like where to set it up and then what kind of entity. It was clear that we needed some entity because without having a legal entity and just being a bunch of people, like the personal liabilities would be unbearable or would be just too sure. risky. So we needed some legal entity. And it soon became clear that, uh, yeah, the foundation structure wouldn't be the best for us. We wanted to, like, we are not really a classical for-profit, but we sold tokens to investors. And this foundational structure has its intricacies as well. So, yeah, it seems that the trend was already moving towards for-profit. Like, uh, in our case, it's a stock corporation. So then it became clear, like, after many discussions with our lawyers. So even though I have a legal background, I'm not, like, very like say, proficient in corporate law and the financial finance market laws, I sought advice from other companies, like law firms that uh, were much more knowledgeable in those areas. And, and yeah, that's, and we also had, did some initial regulatory overview of, of the Swiss, the situation in Switzerland, which made it clear that if we want to be on the safe side, we, we have to be decentralized. You cannot like have custody over your tokens or over the funds of your customers. Like otherwise, you you would be classified like a money transmitter or financial intermediary. So yeah, we took this kind of uh, radical decentralization approach. It's, it's really worked out nicely because we already had the, the idea, like from a philosophical perspective, to be very decentralized. And it turned out that this is the way you should also go from a legal perspective. So let's get into to the because that's a, another huge facet of this thing, right? You've got this industry lending, this stablecoin tied to the platform, this automatic liquidation capability in the system, gamified arbitrage to maintain stability and, and keep the system functioning. And then you guys decide, we're going to release this thing. And it's essentially, from what I understand, there's some capabilities of things you guys can do still, but primarily you, you release this thing and it's out, right? You're no longer controlling the code, the admin access, those kinds of things. Can you give us a bit of an overview of, of what that's? Sure, yeah. That's part of this radical decentralization approach. So we literally made our system immutable. There is nothing that anyone, like 
not us or not anybody else could change unless you're able to basically hack or fork Ethereum. But <laughs> other than that, the system is just set in stone and, and it works on its own. The only part you can say is maybe not fully decentralized is the Oracle, but there we accounted for potential Oracle failures by having a two-step or two Oracles, like we are using Chainlink as our main Oracle, but if it fails for some reason, there is a detection mechanism which would then make the system fall back to Telor and take okay. a Telor price. Nice. And it can even switch back. So when chaining becomes uh, functional again, it would change back. So it's a very sophisticated mechanism. It took us quite some time to develop it, by the way. Yeah, so yeah, there is nothing we can change. And then the other aspect is that we are not even running a front end. So we came up with this second level marketing or second level program where, where anybody who wants can run a front end, can spawn like this web interface and register in a completely permissionless way, a front-end uh, account, which would then make it so that the front-end can charge, or the front-end can basically benefit by taking a cut from some of the liquidity rewards or some of the like yield farming rewards that Liquid is giving out over time to the users. So essentially this, we have smart contracts deployed for the system. You can't touch them again after they're deployed. So you obviously have to make sure your code's buttoned up, you feel very confident about it because once it's out, right, you could always do a new version and make people switch over, but you had a lot of hype around the protocol. So I guess that was scary, probably a little bit. And then secondarily, you don't have an interface to your platform on your website, right? I can't go there, launch an app, connect my wallet and take a loan or provide stability or anything else. I've got to do that through a third party. And you made it easy for people to do that. And I think that obviously protects you more legally from a decentralization perspective. But I also am a big fan of projects that are being built purposefully for other people to utilize them in applications. And so I'm really interested to see if projects in real life, other corporations start saying, hey, I could use this liquidity protocol to do other kinds of task-specific lending or things I want to buy, a house, a car, whatever, and be able to use liquidity as a tool for that. Yeah, for sure. So we, we have currently seen like two categories, broadly speaking, of front-ends. One of them are like the maybe the hobbyists or the like those who just downloaded our front-end launch kit that we provided as a bare-bones interface, and they're just running this interface as is or with minimum, minimal changes. Then we have, on the other hand, a few more sophisticated integrators, and the latest is like going to be InstaDep, which are like adding extra functionality on top of what our like standard uh, interface this launch kit would offer. But then I would love to see a third, maybe kind of front ends to pop up. It still will take some time, which would be maybe a more traditional like CDFI type of integration, where regulated financial like, intermediaries would offer like a lending product to their customers, which are fully KYC, then the bank knows them, but on the back end, the system would get the loan interest-free from liquidity. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I is that something you guys actively work on trying to develop or you just hope it organically happens amongst the financial world? So we already had like, some initial discussions with some institutions that like, are interested and open to the DeFi integrations. We have a few very modern, like innovative banks in Switzerland who like were set up like a few years ago with this specific purpose in mind to bridge the gap between uh, like centralized finance and DeFi or blockchain. Yeah, so it's an early stage still. It's also not clear whether we need to make something on the back. It cannot change the current system. Ideally, it would use the current system. But we will need to see how this plays out. So, Well, I can certainly see financial institutions saying, hey, I can get loans at 0% interest, but I can charge my customers something. I certainly can see that there would be a motivation to be able to have a system like that. It makes total sense. Do you have a sense of people that are borrowing typically how these, what their use of the funds are? Do you? I know you don't have user data names or anything, but are these people using it for trading primarily? Are they using it for other investments? Have you had a bit, been able to get a sense of that? 
Yeah, so we have done some user statistics. It was partly motivated by some criticism we got from Maker or people in the Maker community on, on how our system is used. There was this kind of fear or criticism that most people would only be borrowing in order to put the borrowed LSD in the stability pool and then start earning the LQTY reward, mm. which would be like a circular system, which is not very like sustainable in the long run. And it's true that our stability pool is currently very large. I think it's 86 or something percent of all the, the LUSD supply. So it is. It, it may seem alarming if you just look at this number. But then when we d dug a bit deeper, we also realized that many people who borrowed the LUSD, they sold the LUSD on the market to whoever then bought it and put it in the stability pool. So while there is a good fraction of people who are both like borrowers and depositors, like they never really, like those areas, they never really leave the system. They are like just recycled inside the system. But that's only, I think, about one third of our users. Like two other thirds, they are using it in a way that is more maybe sustainable. And what we also want to see that they either sell their LUSD to make leverage or then to basically buy more ether and put it back and then borrow even more uh, we should do more research on that i have we haven't really figured out how many leverage seekers we have but we see that we also have those type of borrowers who sell their lusd and then the other third would be just people who, who buy lusd on the market in order to become stability depositors they can get a, like a yield or income on their stable coins by putting them in the stability pool. What kind of uh, yield are people getting currently with providing stability? Currently, I think it's around 15%. It depends on two things. It depends on the price of LQTY, which is like obviously fluctuating. Sure. And the other thing is that it's like a piece, it's like a cake that gets distributed among the participants. So the more people put LUSD in the stability pool, the less you get, like relatively speaking. Okay. The reward is just split. Makes sense. And... Have you all have you all considered uh, some kind of integration with DEXs and, and exchanges to actually allow them to utilize the system to directly to provide leverage to people? So I think we already have like a leverage and automated or a way to do a one-click leverage transaction with DeFi Saver. It would ah. it is already integrated with some DEXs. One inch. I'm not quite sure which one, but it allows you to do all this in one transaction. Yeah. So this is already done. And then we also have other automation systems which are more mostly focused on the stability pool and the staking part. So for the stability pool, with every liquidation, like you would lose some of your LUSD, and you get some ether, like right. the collateral. And then the, the ether itself would just sit there and you, you run the risk that the ether may drop over time. So what many people would maybe want to see is that the system would automatically convert the ether back to LUSD and put yeah. the LUSD back to the stability pool. Now what that has happened, I think two weeks ago, it was B Protocol who basically did that. Huh, nice. So this integration is up and running. And then the third interesting integration, which is also integrated with B protocol, so it's like a double integration, is for the LQTY. So the LQTY token is the secondary token that you get as a reward, but you can also stake it and then you start earning the protocol fees. Like this upfront fees basically paid out to the LQTY stakers. Mission DeFi is sponsored by Material Indicators. Material Indicators brings science to investing and helps investors make more informed and smarter trading decisions. Their powerful community of thousands of experienced investors is free to join and is available to anyone that wants to learn more about trading crypto successfully. Visit their website at materialindicators.com. That's materialindicators.com. Or join their community on Telegram by searching for Material Indicators. Now, given that this fee is again like an LUSD or Ether, there are two fees. One of them is paid out in Ether. The other is paid out in LUSD. You would also want to basically trade them back for more LQTY so that you can stake the LQTY back so that you can basically compound your, your gains. Earn more. Yeah, and that's what Pickle is offering, Pickle Finance. Nice. So we have Pickle Finance doing the compounding for the stakers and a B protocol doing the compounding or like whatever you would call it for the stability deposit. That's awesome. So when did you guys launch? It was on April 5th, so almost four and a half uh, months ago. And out of the gate, though, it exploded, right? And what, I, what was that experience like? You already had some hype behind it, but that hype had happened almost a year earlier, Did you know, 
were you feeling confident the day you launched and this is going to work and you had a lot of people saying I'm in or did you were you still like really worried that there would be some failure with the smart contract or people wouldn't jump in or what happened yeah i basically had two kind two fears one was like the obvious one that there could be some bug that is catastrophic or like really leads to a big loss and the other fear was that fear also you, you never you cannot exclude like the remaining risks that somehow our price stability mechanism would fail because like initially the rewards were very high it was very much skewed towards the early adopter which made me like fear that maybe too many people would try to buy LUSD on the market early on so the LUSD price would like skyrocket and <laughs> then the whole system wouldn't be stable right. so those were the two fears but none of them really happened at least we we were like uh, pleasantly surprised how like robust the system was both in a technical sense but also in an economic uh, sense that's awesome and from a numbers perspective what's happened since april with liquidity so during the first 10 days that was this awesome growth period where the system really skyrocketed and it attracted more than 1 billion worth of tvl like more than 1 billion dollars in ether and then it continued growing like the next few weeks with one big whale justin son who also participated with a huge position and then i think in may like it, it reached like five billions or something wow. even more since then there was this may 18th flash crash and sure. then there were like quite a few liquidations unfortunately for those who were affected but the system coped well and since then it went back again and now it's stable at two point more or less stable at two and a half depends on how you count uh, billions of tbl here you are a couple of years or after you had this concept and you've got two and a half billion dollars at any given time sitting in this protocol you guys developed that's got to feel pretty good yeah it does it's a special feeling i wouldn't have um, expected this and, and it's funny because we had like a design UX design session with an external company back in January and one of the questions for our design direction was like what do we expect the protocol to be like in a very optimistic scenario after one year and we said it would be really great to see we have one billion of TBL after <laughs> one year now we reached it within 10 days <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's amazing, man. That's so cool. Look, I think it's a compelling concept. I think it's something that people can easily understand. It's not like these one of these incredibly complex algorithmic systems that you just can't get your head around. Once you understand the pieces of it, you you say, okay, yeah, I get this. And I can see why this works. And I can see why I'd like to take a chance on this by their borrowing, stability providing, whatever it is. So I, I think that's I, I know it's not simplistic underneath, but it it's very simplistic in terms of being able to understand the pieces. I think that's a big part of what drives people to it. Yeah, I guess so. I think that's part of the reason why it's appealing to people. It's not overly complex, even though there are a few bits and pieces, some extra risks and, and extra like dynamism with the redemption mechanism and the recovery mode, which are a bit more sophisticated and we hope right. that people also read the fine print we, we don't want to people should be like understand the risks and potential like ways the system could operate within some extreme in some extreme scenarios but on a high level i think our system is one of the simpler DeFi. yeah and i i think your documentation is crystal clear i read through it when i first started looking at you all a few months ago and i really felt like i had a firm grasp on what the potential ramifications were for the variables on liquidation. And so I don't, I, I really do, but it, it also made me feel more confident because I felt like you all had been thinking through scenarios that could potentially break the system and were preparing for it. I think that was great. The first time I looked at this and I saw that you all had deployed this completely decentralized and the front ends weren't yours. I thought, so these guys just worked their butts off, built this thing. <laughs> Clicked and deployed and they're done. Are they just, can they just sit back and watch it run? Is What's it been like since then for you and what are you guys doing now? Yeah, so that's a great question. So it's not as easy as it may seem at first. <laughs> so I mean, those integrations I already mentioned with Pickle, with the B protocol, with InstaDev in particular, those were like also collaborations. We helped, we, we worked together with those teams to make this happen. Sure. Um, and also just the fact that we, 
we are looking, we are trying to uh, create good statistics. Donny, uh, our front end engineer, is, he has now the nickname like Master of Dune because he's using Dune analytics in a very <laughs> nice. sophisticated way. We keep improving our stats and documentation and try to get all the integrations done. But that's like just maintaining not the status quo, but just doing what we can do, getting the best out of the current system. Right. Now, aside from that, we already started working on something new. Uh, which is still confidential, but I can tell you like a, give a few like keywords about the new system. Uh, so the main characteristic of it is that it's still like interest-free borrowing, but okay. it would be interest-free borrowing of existing assets, not just one stable coin that the protocol would uh, mint. So it's more similar to Compound or Aave. Okay. So you can theoretically borrow any asset against any other asset wow. if there is enough liquidity so and if there is an oracle and, and, and some technical requirements are met. And then you don't need to pay an interest. That's the big uh, that's, selling point. That's the hook, <laughs> right. That's awesome. That sounds powerful. I can't wait. To, how? What's your a general timeline for this new project? Yeah, it's hard to say. We, we are now in a modeling phase. Uh, okay. And uh, we, we hope to start our like software architecture phase like very soon so we are we now have nailed down more or less like the game like the mechanism design even though we are still modeling a few details and uh, yeah and then i hope that we can do the architecture maybe in in september and then really start implementing and it will take it will take quite a few months and then sure. we also need a few months for the security audits so it's not something i would expect for this year by no yeah. means so that can be realistic well, and it certainly sounds like there's a whole nother level of complexity in terms of what you all have to game for in how the system would function based on the fact that you're dealing with multiple tokens multiple price points oracles and everything else that's much more complex than ETH and LUSD and LQTY. Yeah, and it also led us to rethink or rethink to innovate our uh, governance-freeness approach. It's still governance-free in a sense, or the new system, but it, it still allows more Adapt, like more updates in a sense. So what we are now, I'm calling it governance by competition. I'm not sure if there's such a term yet. It's a bit similar to what Balancer is already offering, but maybe more it's broader in scope. So what we are trying to achieve is creating a kind of a toolbox-based system, which is very modular. So uh, it's up to the creator of a lending pair. Like basically everybody could set up a lending pair for right. token X against token Y, then set a few parameters. But not only that, you could also basically set up a governance, uh, sorry, set up an Oracle module for the price feed, or even some module that determines the fee that calculates that is upfront free. And maybe the creator of such a pair could build in some governance mechanism that would allow somebody to update this or not. That's still yet to be seen. Wow. Uh, but it would allow basically people to create even multiple lending or multiple instances for the same lending pair. And then we will see whether people would, like the users would nice. prefer the one that has static parameters or the one that is governed by some party or some DAO or whatever. Wow, that's yeah. fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I love the idea of this kind of um, competitive marketplace of lending pairs. That's a really neat idea. That's very cool. Yeah, I hope that it works out. It's not a very easy task. I'm Just sure. realize the uh, like making it too like free is dangerous. But then also when you want to just like like limit it to a few preset parameters, then it's not very powerful. So we need to strike a good balance there. Yeah, definitely. I can see how I can see how this becomes more complex and takes more time. But certainly can't wait to see if you what that comes out like. That sounds exciting. That's great. One of the things I think that you often get compared to Maker and wanted to, if you could, for people that are really familiar with Maker, I think we've clearly explained what Liquidity is, but if you wouldn't mind highlighting the differences between the two, you guys have some videos that do that and I'll point people to it in the show notes, but if you could talk about that a little bit, that'd be great. Yeah. Maybe the top three differences is that that'd be uh, cool. Yeah, Liquidity is interest-free. Uh, so there is no recurring fee, like similar to the stability fee that you would pay in Maker on a continuous basis but there is an upfront fee that you pay when you open your position it's just like a charge or an extra fee that is added to your debt you basically paid back when you repay your loan but there is no like recurring or accumulating fee during the time you you have your loan open so that's number one then the second big difference is the lower collateralization requirement or ratio we have 110 percent for ether 
And that's also the third difference, which is the fact that we only allow loans against Ether. Ether is the only collateral type, but you get an, um, you can borrow up to 91% of its value, which translates to 109% uh, minimum collateralization ratio, while in Maker, for the Ether, you have 130 or 150 uh, percent. It depends on whether it's Ether A or Ether B. Okay, great. I think that's a perfect summary. So I had another question, and I think this is an interesting perspective. I think this will be interesting to other projects, founders that are building right now, and that is this. Without... Because of the radical decentralization that you're doing, you don't have necessarily a governance and you don't have, I'm sure you have a community of people that are fans of the project, but you don't have a community of people that are saying, what are you doing now? To, what are we doing to pump this coin? This constant berating of the community look, I wouldn't even call them community. I would just call them speculators. But these folks who are constantly in the face of people asking, what's next? What are you doing now to make the value go up, et cetera? And I know you worked with Definity, but what has that experience been like of this? Well, we really can't, we're doing what we do. We built it, we released it. There's no governance. People can't vote for you to do something else. You do integrations as they come along. Do you think it's a better experience for founders to, to have this despite the risk of releasing something that might have a bug that you didn't find? Oh, that's an interesting question. So it's not maybe as like quite like that, that we don't, we wouldn't have any people like requiring features or urging us to do this or that. Many people, for example, have been asking for integrations with on centralized exchanges or other platforms. We are sure. working on that, but that's something which takes time. Sure. Uh, we have seen some like user feedback, but most of our users who have like spent at least some time understanding our system, they realize that we cannot really change the substantial parts of it. So it, there's no point in like asking us for adding like another collateral type because we cannot right. do that. So that's, I think that's fine because probably easier to be stay focused like on now other things, the new project, because when you have a governance, you're just distracted by all those people asking for this and that. And then yeah. the governance proposals that may be voted on or like maybe they like don't pass. So yeah, we have those, like we have less, I would say, touching or maybe less touching points with our community. But right. we, we, we fortunately, we have the front ends, which... Uh, give people something to talk about, which involve, which also engage people a bit more because we have a feature requests channel, for example, in our Discord for frontends because that's ah. what people can still do. I sure. Mean, can add features to frontends and, and requests. So that's cool. Yeah. I just, having advised a number of projects over the years, I just know that's so time consuming. And it's so funny because you know, I just interviewed Maki from SushiSwap and he's got hundreds of things coming in at all directions from the community. And, and the community is exciting and they're powerful and they come up with great ideas and the, the project is expansive and the team delivers on those ideas. And I think that's all very cool. And I'm actually a huge fan of what the governance that we're building in DeFi is going to do to the real world. But I also find it fascinating, this idea of just deploy this thing and let it run. And then obviously you've got to maintain it and do some integrations. But I, actually, I love this idea of a project that is becomes more about business development and integrations than pleasing speculators who want the next feature added to it. It's ultimately, it becomes about just driving more into the system than it does about hyping up what's coming next. Yeah, and maybe it also please like it mitigates the like the conflict of interest or like the differing mm. how should I say incentives or like of people because in maker for example the maker holders they mainly want the maker price to go up sure. that may lead to a higher stability fee for example but the borrowers would dislike that the borrowers want to have a low as possible fee so there are those kind of uh, groups of people acting against each other and uh, bad-mouthing proposals and like fighting them. And, and I think we, our like kind of community is less contentious and less, we don't give the, that much attack vectors for people to like to debate maybe. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fascinating. And I like the idea of you as a project or a group or a company can continue to build, but you're gonna build a new project, right? It may be based foundationally on what you created in the first place, but there's not a dependency there. And so there's not the people who are taking part in that project aren't dependent on your next project 
for that success. That's already building success and growing and people are happy and they're making money and uh, all is kind of well in the world. I think that's very cool. Mission DeFi is sponsored by Material Indicators. Material Indicators brings science to investing and helps investors make more informed and smarter trading decisions. Their powerful community of thousands of experienced investors is free to join and is available to anyone that wants to learn more about trading crypto successfully. Visit their website at materialindicators.com. That's materialindicators.com. Or join their community on Telegram by searching for Material Indicators. Yeah, that's and I hope we can also just leverage some of our credibility now with liquidity or sure. the new project. Oh, I definitely think it will. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you built something that works that people thought might not work, that might have some issues, or could, or and ultimately you proved that it works. And you had May, like you said about the flash crash, that really probably made you a little nervous to see if how it was going to function. So I think that's really cool that you've been through that fire as well. I think that's great. Um, Tell me, I ask everybody, tell me some projects or people in DeFi world that you have a lot of respect for or you think are building something really cool, whether they're known or not known, that you think people should know about. Yeah, we have seen our integration with Element.fi, which is this kind of uh, separating between yield and principle-based project. And there is also another one in which is not very well known because it's still quite uh, early, which is called Tempus. I know the people there and they are building something similar to Elementify, but with some tweaks and, and improvements, which yeah, may be a very interesting alternative then going forward. And uh, yeah, those are just two examples, which I really wanted to highlight. Cool. Uh, I think the whole like DeFi, like yield and principle separation is kind of like a very cool idea. It allows you to leverage your exposure to yield, which wasn't possible before. That is great. I'm going to take a look at both of those and see what they're up to. That sounds fantastic. What's the best way for folks to connect with Liquidity, connect with you? How should they reach out? So you can go to liquidity.org, which is a website, which is currently also undergoing uh, like an, an overhaul, but currently it is what it is. And uh, it also has links to our community outlets. It's mainly Discord and uh, Twitter. So if you want to stay updated, like uh, you can be on either of them. And there, there's also an announcement only Telegram chat okay. or group. So people can keep up to date what's going on yes. with it. Robert, thank you so much for your time. So Robert, there was one other thing I want to discuss that kind of came up in the last week on Twitter. And that was Hasu, who has who I have the incredible respect for, as said in a tweet, if you understand DeFi, you also understand that LUSD and Ray cannot isolate themselves from the risk of USDC. If USDC decides which is the real Ethereum chain, then the ETH backing these coins on the fork chain is obviously going to be near worthless as well. So I think what he's saying is that if for some reason Circle, who is the the founders of USDC, decides that there's a fork of Ethereum and they're going to support one and not another, then all of the USDT on the fork they don't support will vanish, basically, or the value for it will vanish because they have a back a one-to-one backing of their USDC. And what Hasu is saying is that if that happens, you're still dependent on that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a very interesting question, and there is a lot to unpack here. First of all, there is a forking risk, which is a very general risk, which is completely independent of, of any actor like Circle or like the issuer Coinbase or USDC. The question is like, what happens in a fork? Because normally in a fork, there will be like some minority chain and some majority chain. And on the mi- minority chain, like you have to assume that like the value of Ether will be much lower. And... Yeah, there is this theoretical risk that there may be a fork at some point with some minority chain that survives, but which would have such a low value that it can becomes useless like, to back a stable coin like Liquid, like LUSD or RI. So that risk is theoretically there. The question is, even the question is whether like Chainlink or Teller would support this minority chain. I guess they would also need to like to decide which one they would uh, support. Sure. But back to the original point made by Hasu, I think it's hypothetical. It's just it's not even clear to me whether he's making the point that this uh, company like uh, Circle would have the power to like 
single-sidedly like determine which should be the authoritative, the main like for right. the two wives. I would say that there are many actors that seem to have power and and saying that, and there is also. Uh, uh, consensus, for example, which controls the Infura, which controls Infura, which is running most Ethereum full nodes and, and MetaMask, and, and there are others like there's Tether, and there, I'm sure there are others. So even that shows me that there are a few key players, but there will probably there needs to be some kind of consensus among the group because if Tether says A and Circle says B, I'm not <laughs> sure which of the two would become the the real. So, so that's interesting. That'd be the actually that you just said something that's really interesting. This idea that that USDC, one of them, USDC or USDT, decided they wanted to win, and so they took a bet on basically playing chicken with the other one and saying, "This is where our support is because your support's over there." That could be some. It doesn't sound like fun. It sounds painful and horrible, <laughs> but it also sounds really interesting. It also sounds like an interesting game theoretic uh, dilemma because if they yeah. want to be on both different chains, they would probably both lose out because the two chains will be much less in total. Like right. th that would be a real big issue then. Right. So I think there there will be some consensus and I guess those big players, they will adapt to what the community or what like the whole like set of people who care would find more suitable because in the end like those companies are profit-seeking companies they right. want to support the, the the chain that survives that has the highest potential to survive and if like circle like was to support like a very contentious minority fork even though they have some substantial power i'm pretty sure they wouldn't want to try that experiment because they would also lose out in the end. Yeah, there are many factors to consider here. And I think that came about with the, I think that question came about because of the hack, the $600 million hack. And the idea was that if USDC could lock up tokens, what, how much more could they do? And now that Circle has said they're going to become, trying to become a bank, a national bank here in the United States, I think part of the messaging is as well that, okay, if USDC decides to be compliant as a bank, they've got to do full KYC for every single USDC token on the network. What if USDC decided to fork Ethereum because they wanted that capability built into the chain in some way, right? Just who knows how workable that is. But the point being, I think that there's we're giving these companies a huge amount of power. I don't know that there's necessarily a way around it at this moment because we necessarily need what they have and we are also embedded in what they have. But I think that part of the discussion that came up was people saying LUSD could be a replacement for USDC. So what, what are your thoughts about that conceptually? Yeah. So that's also interesting. I do see the risks or that the, the legislator, the regulator would want to force those big actors to apply KYC and that may not be possible on the current Ethereum chain or, or like may be possible, but there can be a scenario where Circle decides like that there would be like a use case for a separate chain, like Binance chain has its own like chain, but it's also centralized. It's not completely out of the picture, but what I would say would happen in, in that case is a graceful unwinding. So they wouldn't just fork it in a contentious way, like suddenly, right. but I guess there is a way to redeem, like to basically pay back the, the current USDC, redeem them for the underlying US dollars or like notes or whatever instruments so that you can like gracefully do that migration without just breaking it and then like making it so that the remaining like USDC would become worthless because they wouldn't like uh, service the redemptions anymore. And also, I'm, from a legal perspective, I don't, I haven't read their terms, but I'm not sure if people could potentially sue uh, Circle if they they just abandoned like the current chain for in, good in point. a way that yeah that that would be that'd like, be some malicious strange. behavior. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. What I mean conceptually, obviously LUSD feels like something a stable coin for a very specific purpose, right? Could you envision LUSD becoming a major stable coin in DeFi and that the system could support that? Yeah, I totally see it potentially becoming a major stable coin in DeFi. I don't really envision it to become a, stability, uh, um, a stable coin outside of DeFi. Like 
sure. everyday transaction. I think there are other projects like Terra Money, for example, in Korea, which is trying to do something like that with e-commerce partnerships. That's not what we are now really doing. We are like focusing on the borrowing aspect, but of course we, we would like to see and we would like to make LUSD more usable in DeFi in general. And, and that's something we are working on. Oh, awesome. Because I certainly, I can certainly see that obviously it would be great if there was a replacement that was not dependent upon somebody who's doing pegging for what they have in reserves versus something that's algorithmically built and being able to sustain that I think would put a lot of stability into the system. Of course, I think there'd be people that question something that's debt backed, of course, the US dollar is debt backed, but I think there's a lot of interesting questions there. And it puts you in an interesting position because you started off with this thing that was just part of the lending protocol. Probably was not your intention to think, is this something we could actually turn into the stable coin for DeFi? But potential that has potential, right? Yeah, I do think it has. And I think there is a part of our community would like to see that happen. Sure. And uh, yeah, we are working on that. It's not as easy because we have this big player, our big brother named, who is just more like well-known, but sure. over time, I'm sure we will um, be able to Do get more. LUSD spread like more widely. That's awesome. I love that idea. And obviously that's a business development function. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about on that? Not specifically. So cool. yeah, I think this Very was a cool. great interview.